Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Wrap. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Sex Wrap. You're here with Spring and Andrew, and we are so excited to answer all your questions about sex, love, relationships, whatever you want to know. Yay. Hi, everybody. How are you doing today, Spring? I'm doing great. What you got for me today, Andrew? So I have two things, actually. Uh, I'm leaving everybody. I won't be on social media to be able to respond to anything for about a week because I'm going to stay at a horse farm where there's no internet and no email and no cell phone service. Well, it's you a farm with horses. What do they say about horse farms? <laughs> I don't, oh no. What do they say about it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of sex jokes in here. You know, uh, like things the size of horses or like, you oh. know, girls that well, like no, riding like- horses. There's just a lot of ways we can take this. No, like this is like a farm that has like seven horses and lots of horse poop. and. Oh, like, so it's just a horse farm. Like a farm with horses. But it's super fun. Um, <laughs> But I'm excited to get away from the world and text and internet. I really like my vacations whenever I can kind of pull away from the internet and social media. But I've also been doing this other thing. I know I've talked before about doing gratitude journals. Um, it's something that I do every day where I, send, I spend a couple minutes and I write all of the things that day that I'm really thankful for and try to change it up a lot. Um, and uh, I... As, as I've also mentioned, I'm not that close to my parents um, for various reasons, um, but I'm trying to have a better relationship with them. And I thought, you know what, part of this gratitude journal I could incorporate with my parents. Um, and recently, my parents both got cell phones and they both started texting, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of terrifying. I know most of our listeners, your parents probably text all the time, but my parents are like, they are not into the whole texting world. But my dad started texting. So I thought, thought something that would be really fun to do um, would be to start uh, texting him one happy story with my grandparents, his parents every day. So I'm sending him like, I was really close with my grandparents lots of secrets that I had with them. We did really fun things like summer vacation. um, All my brothers and I would all go to their house for a week and um, do different kinds of fun things. But my grandparents, I was like, I want to go see the Grand Canyon. So they didn't tell my parents and took me to go see the Grand Canyon or I want to see Canada. So they took me to Canada, which was really cool. So my parents are going to get all of these texts. And sometimes there's visual evidence like pictures of me in Nova Scotia at the Grand Canyon that I'm going to send along with them. So it's really cool. Um, But the other really kind of cool thing that made me think about we have about the question today is um, the very first person I ever came out to was my grandma. Um, and she was like a, she was kind of stern, but loving and kind of like sweet and caring at the same time, like all of these different factors. Um, and I was 13 or 14 and I didn't know who to tell about the feelings that I was having. Uh, and I was like, grandma, I think I'm not like other people. And she's like, yes, I've always known. And then we had a little conversation about it and there were some tears and she promised me she would never tell anybody. And I don't think she ever did. I don't think she ever told my grandfather or my parents because it was a big shock for them much How later. How old were you when that happened? I think I was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And then when did you like feel like you came out? Came out, came out? <laughs> uh, so I had like tentative boyfriends and things like that when I was in junior high and high school. Um, but those weren't really out out. Those were kind of like on the sly. Um, <laughs> on the DL? I think, 
on the DL. Uh, <laughs> and then I went completely asexual for a while as well. Like, you know what? I'm just not going to do anything because I don't want to be judged. Uh, so I think I was probably 18, 19 before I started telling other people. So I told my grandma and then I told Jared, you all, if you listen to previous episodes, you know about Jared. But <laughs> I mean, it was this really kind of cool, uh, like secret that I had with my grandma where she knew the whole time and she loved and accepted me. And I think it really helped to get me through. Um, and I think I knew I was gay before then as well, but she was the very first person that I told my parents don't know that secret yet. They also don't listen to the show. So it's fine that I'm talking. They don't know what a podcast is. Fortunately. Um, (laughs) but I mean, this relates to our question for the day. Um, like how did you know you were gay by pan or straight? Right. So we've had a, 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 quite a few questions come in, and, and a lot of these questions are directed towards me or Spring. Um, so we get a lot of personal questions on the show. Sorry, we won't respond to those emails most of the time. Um, but today, Spring and I are going to talk a little bit about our personal experiences and then talk about some of the, the other science behind it. Um, and I think this is a really, really great question for us just to chat about for a little while today. It's kind of light. Um, and I was thinking about it earlier this week as well. So how did you know? How did you know? And I think we should probably talk about when did you know as well that you were gay, bi, pan, or straight? Yeah. And I mean, I think that this is a really nice question to talk about because it can feel really scary um, when you're younger and you're, or when you're older. <laughs> it can feel scary anytime when you feel like um, other people already know, kind of, you know, and feel very secure in who they are, whether that is in relation to their gender or their sexual orientation or really any aspect of themselves. And sometimes you can feel like, why don't I feel so sure about that yet? Or why don't I have a very strong identity around that aspect of myself yet? And so I think that that's, you know, um, something that's kind of behind this question is that comparison and noticing that some other people are like, I am this and, uh, and, you know, and like shouting it. And um, so, yeah, it can, it can really be like, how, how am I supposed to know? Or when am I supposed to know? Or like, you know, what's, what's kind of the normal route for that? Um, so I think it's a really great question to talk about. So we can kind of start to um, understand, you know, what, what can happen and when it might happen. And, and that's different for everyone is the real answer. But um, yeah, let's, let's get into it a little. What do you, what do you want to tell me, Andrew? I mean, so I can talk about some of my experiences, and I think it's really important. I I think Spring and I are both going to share some personal stories about our background, um, is that everybody comes to their sexual orientation, their gender, their gender identity, their acknowledgement of their sex in a, a slightly different way, right? So there's not one singular pathway where you're like, okay, A, B, C, there we go, I'm done. Um, for me, when I was a little kid, I was always really empathetic and really caring and compassionate. Um, I was kind of gender non-conforming, like people wanted to play trucks or GI Joe. And I was much more interested in like my little pony. And I always wanted an easy bake oven. Um, Like, so there were just a lot of behaviors when I was a little kid that were like, I was not very macho. I was not very masculine. I'm sure you can tell by our shows that I'm still not all that masculine of a person. Um, But when I was a really little kid, there are all of these like little 
I don't want to say they're warning signs, but I was not a very gender conforming kid. Um, and since I came out later in life, there are tons of people who are like, yes, Andrew, we've always, there are many times where I've come out to people later in life, like, oh, we already thought you were gay. Like there was no huge surprise for a lot of people. Um, but when I was gender non-conforming, I didn't have words to put to who I was as a person, right? I'd watch Disney movies and it was always a prince and a princess. I would watch Sesame Street and it was always a boy and a girl or a monster and a Muppet. Bestiality? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't have any of the language that I needed to identify as myself until much later. And most of the time I learned that language when people were trying to insult me on the schoolyard using words like gay and fag and those sort of like negative trying to use them derogatory. You can say those words to me as much as you want anytime. And now I'm like, thank you. Correct. Next. Um, well, but I didn't I mean, have the language. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that you're talking about here is that, you know, you were displaying things that were not what we consider typical masculinity. And because you identify as a boy and present as a boy, then that was problematic in some way to people. So they were trying to name this and trying to call that out. And I mean, one of the things that we know, and I know all of our listeners know from listening to us, is that, you know, just because somebody isn't uh what you consider this like normal masculine or what you think normal masculinity should look like that doesn't actually have any implications for their gender identity or their sexual orientation. And so you're saying that, you know, people could identify that before you could, but those things that you're saying don't actually make you gay. Those things don't make you, um, you know, they don't affect who you actually choose to have sex with or choose to love. And right. so um, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you're saying like people knew that before you, but like you're actually saying that people assume that based on stereotypes, they didn't know that before. Right. They didn't like, they're just making, making these things up, which we would say is the worst thing to do because we should never actually make assumptions about what, people are or who they are or what they want out of their lives based on what they wear. Easy or, yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, other people in my life were pretty easily identifying these non-typical behaviors that I had. Uh, and they tried to combat them too. Like we need to tough you up. We need to dress you in camo or we need to have you play baseball because putting me in tights with stirrups was the kind of anyway. Um, so I didn't have any of the language. Um, and then I found the men's underwear aisle. And I think for a lot of young gay people, they're like, am I supposed to tingle in here? I don't know if you've ever been in the underwear aisle for men, but it's all of these like torsos with bulges and tidy whities all over the place. And that's the place where I really was like, uh, I really like it in here. Like there was that visual stimulus. Um, and it was like probably when I was about 13 when I said it to myself the first time, like that, I think that I'm not straight. Um, and I told my grandma, and then I didn't really tell anybody else for a whole long time, right? But how did I know? Um, because I was not interested in women. I dated lots of women. I kissed women. I had romantic and sexual relationships with women. And I felt like I was 
acting through most of those. Like I had genuine affection for the women I was dating, but it was it was not like sparks and fireworks. It was I'm kind of going through the motions because this is what society told me to do. Um, and then kissing a boy it was like, holy crap, I'm on fire and sparks and fireworks and everything <laughs> is awesome. And I hope my parents don't find out. <laughs> um, so, I mean, how did I know? Uh, it was through a whole bunch of various small acts, some external cues, people in my life, um, men's underwear aisle, and then things like spin the bottle at parties and kissing girls and boys. And, and then I knew. Yeah. So for me, it was experimentation, thought, and then like the self-realization. And then I finally used the word. And then I was so scared that I had used that word to describe myself. I kind of like ran away from it for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's true for a lot of people. Labeling something can feel scary. Labeling either our identities or labeling an experience we've had um, can feel like that makes it more real. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons that it's actually very important, important for us to, um, name like all the parts of LGBTQIA, like, and to actually, because it does make them real, right? So, like, that is, um, something that's important to do. But you also don't need to label yourself until you're ready. So, like, or ever necessarily, right? So, like, if that's something that feels scary is like really putting a word to it, you know, that, isn't necessary like there's no one actually forcing you to do that sure people might ask you but you can say that you choose not to identify in any certain way you know like you can say um i don't have a label for what i am and you you can talk more about that or you can not and that's uh your choice as well so like thinking not only about um when you're ready to label something but if you even want to label it that's totally part of the decision yeah. I mean, and we're talking about like, how did you know and coming out experiences and what does that look like? Um, we need to take a break. Can I say something before we take a break? I have something I have to get off. my. Okay. I've been seeing all of these terrible social media memes. Um, and it's all about like, oh, if we show straight kids, gay characters, they're going to turn out gay. Like, have you seen those kind of memes pop up before? Whatever. There's like, I just saw gay something about the new scar in the Lion King. I haven't seen Apparently anything about they ungayified him. <laughs> oh, it's going to be terrible. Be Prepared is one of the best villain songs of all time. I wish I had a clip of it to play right now. If you haven't listened to it, listen to uh, Be Prepared. Um, no, so people are consistently saying one of the attacks against gay people uh, or gay visibility, right? Like I didn't know that gay people existed when I was 13 because there were none of them that were visible in my world um, is that if straight kids see, or if kids see gay people, they'll turn out gay. Honey bunny. No, <laughs> I saw so many straight people kissing on every kind of show, movie play. It doesn't matter where it is. School, church, wedding t- did not make me straight. Right. (laughs) Seeing people engage in a behavior that's not part of your identity is not going to coerce you into that identity. Okay, we have to take a break. (laughs) Be right back. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Um, All right. So we've been talking a lot about me and my experiences so far. Uh, Spring. 
How did you figure out the words that you use mm-hmm. to identify yourself? Because I kind of that's the sort of the direction we're going. Like, how did you determine the language that you use? So you know, um, what's interesting is. Well, part of that is I actually don't really like using words for myself. And I, um, because I think that people make a lot of assumptions around uh, the words, right? So if mm-hmm. I tell somebody like the word I'm bisexual, then people kind of decide what that means. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I don't actually use that word, even though I have relationships with men and women and, and people who don't identify as men or women. And um, I, I, don't really like the label bisexual, even though technically I guess that's a label for me. And so I feel like that label doesn't necessarily apply to me because um, I think people assume, and this isn't right, but a lot of people assume, you know, that it's very like you like them exactly the same and you like the same parts of these genders and this and that you want the same things from these different types of genders. And like, I think, you know, sexuality and sexual orientation is a lot more complex than that. And so I prefer to just kind of like talk about, you know, the current relationships I'm in or talk about um, the people that I love as a way to kind of explain, you know, uh, where I am in my life and who I'm dating and who is important to me. And I really... I really get that as well. Uh, So one of the reasons I do come out as gay all the time, even though gay is probably not the best word to define who I am today, um, is because I want to make sure if there's like a young 10, 12, 13, 15, 18, 40 year old kid Mm -hmm. out there who doesn't have the right language or needs an icon or needs someone to look up to, I have that. I have that word, but right. I mean, if you say gay, there's all of these assumptions as well that people make about you. I've come out as gay before and people have pulled away. Like, because they're making those assumptions that HIV and dirty and like all of that kind of negative societal implication. Um, It's not true, uh, but I I totally understand where you're coming from there, where sometimes the language that we use influences people in ways that are based on these stereotypes that are harmful and hateful. Um, But how? How did you know? Yeah. Right. And so, so we, we know that you don't like the word very much. You prefer to talk about the individual relationships and that's great. But how did you get to where you were? What was your process? Yeah, I guess like for, I mean, and I think there's a couple of parts of that I can talk about. And one part is the, um, like the openness to having loving relationships with any gender of person that was just kind of, um, over time noticing that, you know, I felt this same type of love for uh, somebody that was female uh, that I thought I only had for males, that like it just kind of arose with somebody in my life. And I, I was kind of surprised, like, oh, I thought I only liked men in that way. And then how, how old were you when this was going on? Um, Do you remember? 25, maybe. Um, and so having, starting to notice that and then thinking like, oh, that's interesting. And I, you know, I was already like studying sexuality and like very open-minded and like had a lot of very open-minded friends. So it didn't feel alarming to me in any way. It felt just interesting. (laughs) 
like, oh, cool. That's Mandora's turn. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, that's a very privileged place to be in that I was in at that time. Um, I think a lot of uh, women who would be in that space would probably not even ever act on it either, right? Because it's so much more convenient in our society for people in terms of identifying as gay, bi, pan, um, to especially if you have attraction towards people of what people people of the sex or gender that you're assumed to have liked just go down that path. Sorry, the language all gets tied up with Sprig and I today. We're trying to be really attentive to like, uh, all of the different sexes and genders yeah. out there. And, and I mean, the other part though, was that then I married a man and then, um, so then I was in that relationship for a while, but then once, um, that relationship dissolved, I then had, more freedom to actually explore some of those things. But I think that sometimes what happens is you don't really know what options are available to you in our society. Um, and I think that's changing, thank goodness. But the more that we see other types of relationship models and other types of gender and sexual expression, then we can start to understand like, oh, maybe I'm that. And so when we see more of this in our social media and we see more of it in traditional media and when we see it in lives around us, then it starts to give us more possibilities. And so for me, that is what happened in relationship models where I was exposed to polyamorous relationships and exposed to people um, who were in relationships like that and doing it beautifully and doing it well. And when I realized like, oh, this is something that exists and exists like as a real option, not just as something I read about in a textbook or something that I heard other people do, um, then that became an option for me to like understand like, oh, maybe that's my relationship belief system and like how I operate in relationships. And I didn't know that until I could see that somewhere. And then I could say, okay, that is something that I identify with. And that's why invis- that's why visibility is so important as well. Um, so there's a lot of people. Once again, polyamory is one of those words where someone says that there's a lot of assumptions that come up uh, against it. Um, so whenever someone asks me about polyamory, I'm like, how many of you have parents who are divorced and remarried, or know anybody who's been divorced or remarried? Right? People find love more than once. All polyamory means is that people find love more than once at the same time. Right. With consent. Right. If you're if you you're not polyamorous, if you find love twice at the same time and don't tell people that's called cheating. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, right. There's all of these words and language that we can use to more elegantly describe who we are. Um, and there's these coming out processes. I think I mean, I don't think that divorce is a great thing, but I think divorce is a great thing for a lot of people because it gives them like space to breathe and really conceptualize. I think divorce for a lot of people ends up being like a coming out process where like I was this person and this is what life had led me to. Um, if we look at our world uh, and if we look at all the major institutions, education, school, church, parents, marriage, religion, um, if you don't think very much about your sexual orientation or your gender or marriage or kids or anything like that, um, the world creates a very easy path for you, 
right? Every single institution kind of easily pushes you forward in that direction. Relationships push you forward into that direction. Parents push you in that direction. If you don't think about it at all, right, you kind of come out at the other side with having this sort of, I don't want to say unreasoned or unthoughtful life because you can be really reasonable and really thoughtful, but you've never really had that kind of uh, deep internal conversation about like, how do you know what you are? Um, how did you know that you were gay by pan? Um, I think people who are not heterosexual get asked these questions all the time, mm-hmm. right? Like, how did you know you were gay? How did you get there? And I, I think a, a nice question, and it's part of our question for the day, because some of our gay queer listeners uh, ask us, like, how do straight people know that they're straight? Yeah. And I think that it's actually, I think the process is actually the same. It's just that um, there's not quite as much uh, then processing around it, right? So, like, even someone who identifies as straight, like, will start to engage in, you know, having little relationships with people, having, like, you know, we kiss or we, like, hold hands and it felt exciting. And then, like, oh, I really liked that. And then, you know, I continue on this path. And so, they just don't kind of uh, have to put a name to that. Like, oh, that's when I realized. But there is a realization that, you know, you like people of the other gender, if you identify as straight at some point when you start to enjoy that company with them and get excited by it. And so there is that moment. It's just, we don't talk about it a lot or like really try to like pin it down for some reason. Right. And there's no language assigned to it. I think it would be really cool if there was a book uh, like called coming out straight where we collected stories from straight (laughs) people about like when they realized and how they knew. Except, I think it would be a, we don't need that much more visibility about straight people, but. But I think it would be really <laughs> lovely to have that kind of the insight that you're talking about. Yeah. Like I was in, I was in fourth grade and I kissed Heather in line after recess or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. I did kiss Heather in line at recess, you but did? that was in second grade. I did Heather. <laughs> and then Alex Eba, but she was my neighbor and we'd already kissed a few times, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, I think there's some other stuff that we should, we, we, we're getting, this is getting a little long. Okay. But, uh, there's this new trend, which I think is really cool. Um, millennials, I don't even like the term millennials, but uh, younger people in the United States are really sort of bucking this assumption of like, you are straight or you are gay. Um, one of my favorite things that's happened over the past 10 years is that there's been this like cavalcade of new words and new language that people are using to describe their romantic desires, their sexual desires, their emotional desires. Um So while gay and bi and pan are still valid words and are valuable for helping us understand people's attractions, I think that there's really cool language coming out. And over the past few years, the number of people who identify as not straight has massively increased as well, especially among younger populations. Um, And I think that's because the world has changed and there is visibility, mm-hmm. right? Like on the Disney channel, you'll see gay characters. If you watch Beauty and the Beast, the live action movie, there's gay characters, like they're just gay characters, lesbian characters, not many pan characters, but a few of them um, out there. And I think people have started having some of those internal dialogues earlier about like who I am, what does this mean? If I'm going to identify as a word, what word best suits me, my future, my desire, who I want to be? Um, so thank you, millennials and young people. I don't think you're ruining everything. I think you're making everything better uh, because you're giving us all of these really cool 
cool, all this really cool language to help us better identify. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like the overall theme of the show is like, so yes, there's no like timeline for figuring this out. And there's no even label that you eventually ever have to give yourself. So it's, I think it's kind of interesting because the answer to the question is like, whenever, whatever, like that's different. It's different for everybody (laughs) and you don't have to use any words and you can change that word as well. Yeah. Fluidity. Oh, that's my favorite thing about sexuality and relationships is that they are fluid and you can ride that wave and you can be wherever you want to be at any time and it can change. It can change at any moment and that's okay. That's great. <laughs> All right. So we are at the end of the show. And I have a, do you have a tip today, Spring? Just a tip. Um, just, just, just the tip. Let me hear your tip I, and then I'll see if I have one. <laughs> so my tips are kind of a, a little bit long, but um, we've already done an episode about coming out. If you want, you can listen to it. Um, I think everybody regardless of their sex, gender, sexual orientation should have to come out. Like we should make it part of people's process. Like you graduate from high school and you get a diploma. Congratulations. You also get coming out ceremonies. You can have them as often as you want. You can have them every birthday, every (laughs) anniversary. But I think people should have come, everyone should have to come out because you get to be thoughtful and introspective about who you are and how you got to be who you are, right? The better you know yourself, the more likely you are to be in happy relationships, the more likely you are to be healthy. Um, Because every life is a story and we want to make sure, I want to make sure that you're telling your own story, not having it told for you by all of these external influences and words that don't apply. I mean, I like that, but I also feel like what if nobody had to come out because it doesn't matter because we're all beautiful, amazing people. And so who gives a <laughs> junk? Wellspring, <laughs> if we're still alive in 300 years and we make a lot of progress, I think we can get to your dream. Um, I think that would be lovely if everyone could just be like, you're a person and you're loved regardless. Uh, got some work to do. That's why we do the show. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. If you have any questions or comments, if you want to come out with us, um, like come out to us, not with us because we live in different places. Um, let us know. Uh, you can reach us via email. We're the sex rap at gmail.com. That's wrap with the W. You can call us at 413. Uh, I wrap it. And then you can find us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, we're at the sex rap. And they're really active. Instagram, we're having some really fun quizzes. So please go check them out. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just two of music for this episode provided by the ever elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.